Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello everyone and welcome to Oki Investigations. My name is Trevor Shelby. I'm an Oklahoman who loves to investigate crimes that's happened in my state and all across the United States. I have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and a love for true crime. The stories that are featured on this show are true stories. The narrative of each story comes from an extensive research through police reports, trial notes, appeals, personal accounts, news reports, and a whole lot more. Parts of the story may contain opinions and speculations and should be taken as such. For more information on each story, join us on our webpage, truecrime.blog, where you'll see some of the cool things that we've gathered while researching each show. This includes a timeline of events, newspaper clippings, court documents, and a whole lot more. Uh, check us out, truecrime.blog, or even our Facebook page, Oki Investigations. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you are doing well this week. Today's story has a lot to unpack, and it's something that is so relevant today as it was almost a hundred years ago. If someone makes a mistake in the criminal justice system, it can very easily cost someone their life. For example, I used to work at my local county jail. A guard went into a pod by himself and got into trouble. An inmate started to fight him and the inmate actually broke the guard's legs. The guard, thankfully, was okay. He survived this incident. Uh, he recovered and kept his job. But when we were asked why on earth were guards entering pods by themselves, why didn't we bring someone with us? Our supervisors asked us this question when they already knew what the answer to that question was, uh, we didn't have enough staff to go with backup or to have two guards go, go in each pod. We didn't have enough to work safely, so we did what we could. It was the decision long ago by staff at the county jail to turn a blind eye to the staffing problem that we had, and this was what led this officer to getting themselves put into a lot of danger. That staffing problem led to that officer having his leg broken and many other injuries and deaths that's happened in that place. It's one of the many reasons that I no longer work there. Another major decision that happens in the criminal justice world is that some inmates get put up for parole. This can be through a natural process or can also be selected by state governors to pardon or parole the offenders for state crimes. 
For some states, it was not unusual to hear that several inmates were pardoned or paroled by the governor after the governor had reviewed their files. We've covered other cases in the past where this has happened. Um, one that comes to mind was the aftermath of a case in Oklahoma where the wife and her neighbor, who was her lover, uh, they, they murdered her husband. And she was eventually uh, pardoned of her crime or her involvement in that crime. But what happens when you make a mistake in this process? What happens when you let the wrong person go? That is the basis for this episode, and here is that story. When you rank outlaws from the 1920s, the Newton brothers are always on the list somewhere. Willis, Joe, and Jesse will forever be known as those who robbed a train in 1924 for $2 million. They were not the only ones in their family who aspired to take what was not theirs. The Oglebys, cousins to the Newtons, wanted to be outlaws as well. They were brothers Cole, Lewis, and Ernest Ogilby. They were never destined to reach the same heights as their cousin counterparts would. Ernest would get caught early in his career. He stole a car in Breckenridge, Texas, and was captured shortly after. That joyride cost him two years in the state penitentiary. He got out in 1929, and if you think he straightened up and did right, you would be completely wrong. Ernest needed the money, so he did what he thought that he did best, and he conducted a string of robberies in Eastland, Texas this time. Altogether, and in one night, he was able to do five burglaries and stole yet another car. Someone realized early on what was going on, and they called the police. Officers had searched the area, and they found Ernest driving the stolen car. Inside it was the stolen personal items from each robbery. He was caught red-handed. And this was really hard to argue otherwise. Ernest pled guilty, and he was sent to prison for another 10 years. He was charged with something like 11 counts of burglary, okay? So Ernest is serving this... 10-year prison sentence, but he does not serve the full 10 years. You see, Ernest was noted as a model prisoner. He never gave anyone any problems. He didn't fight. He didn't cause any of the guards problems. He didn't get in the way to, of the day-to-day -day operations. So the warden and some staff wrote letters to the governor of Texas, asking him to look into Ernest's case and see if there's anything that they could do for him. It didn't really take long. The governor signed the papers and had Ernest out of prison pretty darn quickly. It was reported in the Austin American paper on Wednesday, May 3rd, 1933, on page 3. Eleven inmates of the Texas penitentiary were recipients of clemencies from Governor Miriam A. Ferguson today. Full pardons were issued to H.A. Jenkins of Kaufman County, 
who was serving for a burglary of two years, convicted in October of 1932, and Ernest Oglesby from Eastland County, burglary and theft, 10 years. Tom Davis, convicted in May of 1932 in Shackleford County of murder and given 10 years, received a conditional pardon. This was a common practice at the time. If a governor believed that they had an inmate that was ready to go out into the world a changed man, they would then let them out, no problem. Typically, there was some checks and balances. I know in Oklahoma, a committee would review each of these cases for the governor, and then they would present them to the governor and kind of go over everything. They would read updates about the prisoner from the staff that work with them and see kind of the firsthand what the staff and what the warden all kind of think. They also practice some form of victimology. They would see the impact that the prisoner caused on their victims' lives and weighed each option of early parole or not. While Ernest was in prison, his brothers Lewis and Cole were still out practicing the family trade. In early 1932, Lewis and Cole actually robbed a bank in Mississippi. They get in an intense gunfight with police, and as they make a run for it, Lewis is shot and killed, and Cole was able to get away. Things were getting a little too hot for Cole in Mississippi, so he traveled then to Oklahoma City. He started boosting cars in the city to make some quick cash. A few months after Lewis was shot and killed, Cole broke into a sedan near the state capitol. An Oklahoma City detective that specialized in finding stolen cars was quickly on the case. He was able to track and locate Cole, who refused to come quietly. Cole reached for his gun, sitting next to him in the car. The detective, who was at the window, actually held him off and then fired five very quick shots and hit Cole in either the face or chest. Cole died immediately. <laughs> so now Ernest is being let out of prison just a few short months later. Now, if you look at all of this, it's pretty hard to justify the reasoning. But they couldn't judge Ernest on the crimes of his brothers, and while he was in prison, he really wasn't causing any problems. So, I mean, it's kind of, you, you can kind of see it both ways. It didn't take long for Ernest Oglesby to pick up his life of crime once again. He traveled to Oklahoma City and, like his brother, began boosting cars. They must have had some kind of contact or knew somebody who had worked in Oklahoma City because it seemed to be a point where they thought it was wise to do so. Uh, typically, the scam kind of went like this. They would go to a car dealership and they would take something for a test drive and they would just never return with that car. So then they would take what's like a, you know, nice expensive car. At the time, it was just a few hundred dollars, but... They would take that car and they would try to sell it for just a fraction of what it was worth to somebody who was unsuspecting. 
they would either have license plates on it that were switched out uh, with another car that was similar or something along those lines to kind of trick the buyer into thinking this was a legit deal. Now, most of the times they would say, okay, if you give me $100 now, you can have the car, and when you pay it off, I'll give you the title. After he gives them the $100, they're never going to see each other again. So Ernest would just run off with that $100 uh, for a car that he got for free, basically. Now, many of the following details comes from officer sworn testimonies and eyewitness reports. Ernest Oglesby had met a woman named Edna McElvany. She and Ernest stayed in a cottage in Camp Jackson, just a mile north of the state capitol. Camps like these were basically homeless camps that were all over the city at this time. This was in the middle of the Great Depression, and families were making really hard decisions with how they lived and how they would provide for their families. Uh, if you'd like to read more about the Oklahoma camp, you can actually find it on our blog post about this article. Uh, I've got a link to a really good article about these Oklahoma camps. On December 3rd, 1933, about 8 a.m., Oklahoma City police officers Douglas Gates and Webb Campbell had just pulled their patrol car into a filling station just outside of Camp Jackson, and they were getting some gas. They had been working since 1 a.m. and had a rough night. They had worked a murder scene in the camp that happened overnight. Now they were winding down by checking plates and looking for stolen cars. It really didn't take them long to spot a car that matched the description of a vehicle that had been recently stolen. Officer Campbell took down the plate number and checked it with his list of known stolen vehicles in their tags. And sure enough, the tag on this car that they were following was a stolen tag from another car that had been stolen. It was a sure sign that something was not right here. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When they tried to pull over the suspect, the car sped up, and soon they were in a chase. They sped through town until finally they were blocked with traffic at 23rd and Robinson Avenue. Officer Campbell got out of the car and approached the suspect, but after a short exchange of words, the suspect again tried to speed off when the traffic was clear. As he did, Officer Campbell shouted for the driver to stop, and he actually grabbed onto the car's rear wheel and stood on the bumper of it as it passed him. As Campbell continued to shout for the driver to stop, an explosion of glass blew into his face. The driver of the car had shot at the officer through his own rear window, causing it to explode outward. Officer Campbell held onto the back of the car with all that he had, and when he pulled out his own pistol and fired back at the suspect, 
The car took a very sharp turn and actually sideswiped and wrecked into another car. This sent Officer Campbell flying for several feet where he eventually hit the ground. Through all of this action, Officer Gates was still in his patrol car following behind and trying to watch out for his partner. When Officer Campbell was thrown and fell to the ground, Officer Gates actually quickly pulled up and tried to position his car to protect his fallen officer. As he did this, the suspect was able to get out of his own car. He had drew his pistol up and took aim, and before Officer Gates could even get out of his car, the suspect fired several shots through the windshield and killed Officer Gates. The stolen car was no longer working, and the wheel had jammed when he had sideswiped that car. So the suspect ran to another vehicle that was actually behind the patrol car. Inside was Mr. Case and his family. They were held at gunpoint and forced to drive the suspect up Robinson Street. They let him out just a couple of miles up the road uh, with no further issues. The suspect was injured. He had been shot during the gunfight. He ran into Camp Jackson and into a home on the outskirts of the camp. Mr. Case had went straight to the police and let them know what had happened and where they took the suspect. They could tell that he was injured and that they saw him run towards Camp Jackson. It really didn't take detectives long to find their suspect. Several people in the camp saw the injured man run into the house he had been renting. The suspect was, of course, Ernest Oglesby. When detectives entered the home of Ernest Oglesby, they found him dressing a wound on his arm. He was quickly taken into custody at gunpoint. They were not going to give him the chance to fight back again. When they got back to the station, Ernest was placed in an interview room where he was confronted by detectives about the murder of Officer Gates. Ernest acted as if he didn't know what was going on and claimed he had nothing to do with a stolen car or the murder of a police officer. Ernest tried to explain to the detectives that his own car had been stolen that same morning. He had bought it for $400. He paid the owner $200 and said that he would sign over the title whenever he delivered the other $200. He said that the man who owned the car was named Mr. McDonald, and he lived in Guthrie. He was actually trying to get a hold of him because he just couldn't find him anywhere. By this time, the officers had a chance to search the car left at the scene of the murder. Inside it was an automatic pistol, a sawed-off shotgun, a pinch bar, and a sledgehammer. They asked Ernest about these items that were in the car that he supposedly bought. He tried to feign innocence by saying all of those items belonged to the previous owner, and he actually wanted to return those to him. Now, it doesn't take a trained police detective to tell when someone is coming up with a thin story like this that they're probably not telling the truth. The detectives here were well-trained and seasoned vets of their trade and they knew that this was a very poorly constructed story. So Ernest's story began to change. 
He admitted that he was there at the scene, but he said he had no idea that the people that were after him were actually police officers. He thought they were someone he knew from Texas, a man named Red Shores. Ernest said that they hated each other, and Red was out to kill him. When the officers began chasing him, he thought that Red and his gang were coming after him. Ernest told the police where they could find the pistol he used in the shootout. It was under a stove that was in the house that he was renting. The officers also arrested Edna, who was also in the home when Ernest was arrested. She was in a state of shock when she found her boyfriend, Ernest, was shot and hurt. When the officers told her who he was, she said that he had lied about his identity and that she had no idea that Ernest was a thief. She told officers that she did wonder how he earned his money, but she knew better than to ask. One sad fact about this case is that Officer Gates had a brother named J.D. Gates, who also worked for the police department. J.D. Gates had been killed in the line of duty just a year earlier, and died just a few blocks up the road from where his brother would later be shot and killed. On December 5th, 1933, this was reported in the paper, The Oklahoma News, and was a front-page article. Guard suspect in police slang with machine gun. Ernest Oglesby, accused slayer of police scout Douglas Gates, today, was chained to his county jail cell here on reports he had connections with the Clyde Champion Barrow outlaw gang. He will face a preliminary hearing on the murder charge Monday before Justice of the Peace J. Will Laws. Reports of the man's alleged outlaw affiliations saw the county jail again turn into a fortress as it was when the Charles F. Urschel kidnappers Harvey Maley, Albert Gates, and George Machine Gun Kelly were there. A machine gun guard was stationed in the jail hospital to guard the main entrance and office, while chains held Oglesby fast to his cell on the floor above. The article then details the funeral of Officer Gates and then explains that Ernest Oglesby was taken in front of Judge Law, and Ernest pled not guilty for the crime of murder. This article is pretty essential because it really shows the seriousness that they placed on this case. Ernest was a danger, even in jail. It was not unheard of for gangs to come back to save their own, especially when they were facing a murder charge. So they wanted known that a guard was there with a machine gun and was standing guard at all times. I also wonder if they wanted it known to all the officers that they were taking this very seriously and that they were not going to take any chances to let a cop killer have any chance of getting out. The police conducted ballistic tests and identified the revolver found in Ernest's home as the one that shot and killed Officer Gates. They were ready for the trial that was set for January 9th, 1934. With the jury set, the trial started right on time and started off on the attack. The prosecution demanded the death penalty for Ernest, 
They opened up by stating that Ernest would admit to his crimes, but pretend that he thought someone else was after him. They brought several eyewitnesses to the crime that indicated they saw what happened and that it would be impossible for Ernest to mistake who was after him. The most damning testimony would come from Officer Campbell. Officer Campbell had spoken to Ernest when he stopped on 23rd Street. Ernest knew at that time that they were police officers. They were both in uniform, clearly had badges on, and were driving a patrol car. It was hard to mistake them otherwise. They also brought Ernest's girlfriend to the stand who stated that he had lied about his identity. And then they brought Mr. Case to the stand, the person that he had kidnapped after the crime. And he stated to the jury that while he drove Ernest to his destination, he actually spoke to them and said that the police were after him. When the prosecution rested, the defense called Ernest Oglesby to the stand. Ernest was well-spoken and tried to explain to the jury that this was all just a misunderstanding that had gone horribly wrong. He knew what he did was wrong, but in his eyes, he was only defending himself. When Officer Campbell was holding onto the back of his car, he was scared and thought that he would shoot him. So he fired first. He claimed that he had no idea that the burglar tools and the weapons were there in the trunk. They belonged to the man who he bought the car from. When the jury received this case, they deliberated for about 35 minutes and then announced they had a verdict. This was an ominous sign that they had quickly decided and this could be a surprise win for either side. The jury was brought back into the courtroom and they pronounced Ernest Oglesby guilty of murder. They recommended death as the penalty. After the verdict, Ernest was removed from the courtroom. On his way to death row, he spoke to a reporter who followed him to the car. He said, I don't think I got a fair trial. In fact, I know I didn't. I'm going to fight this to the finish. They didn't convict me of that shooting. They want me to burn because I had those guns and that stolen car, which belonged to someone else, and because I went to the pen in Texas. Ernest fought the verdict but lost all of his appeals. On January 4th, 1935, Ernest Oglesby was brought into the death chamber in McAllister State Prison. He was greeted with a large crowd of over 200 people. He stated to the crowd, I hope God will forgive everyone who helped put me here. Ernest Oglesby was then strapped to the electric chair. The electrodes were put into place. And when the switch was flipped, Ernest was dead just a few short minutes later. This was an interesting case. At one time, all of the Oglesby brothers were ended by their outlaw ways. They never had the same success as their cousins, but they had quite the impact, especially here in Oklahoma. If Ernest had been kept in prison, all of this would have been avoided. But the lax laws and practices at the time resulted in one of the most significant mishaps in the state's history. 
Ernest should have never gotten out of prison so quickly. But I thank you all for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please make sure that you subscribe to the show. It really helps us out quite a bit. And when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. I hope you all have a great week, and I will see you all next time. See ya. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.